0: Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue.
1: Hello and welcome to Dialogue. European Council President Charles Michel has announced his decision to run for Member of European Parliament in June. If elected, he would immediately step down as European Council President the following month, leaving the position vacant and EU leaders scrambling to fill it. What's behind Michel's resignation, what will be the impact on EU policymaking, and who could be the successor? <music> Joining me today are Professor Meng Jing, Director of the Center for European Studies at East China Normal University, Warrich Bruckner, Professor of Political Science at Stanford University in Berlin, and Fraser Cameron, Senior Advisor from European Policy Center in Brussels. Welcome to Dialogue, Professor Mengjin. I will start with you. You know, when you heard of this news, what's your initial reaction? Uh, is is it a surprise for you?
2: No, it's not a surprise to me, because for Charles Michel, Michel, the coming election, the European election in June this year, is a very important occasion or opportunity for him to continue his political career. But if he continues to serve as the European Council president till November, he will miss this window opportunity.
1: All right, let's turn to uh, Mr Cameron. So what do you think are the factors behind the consideration for the decision?
3: Well, it's always personal factors. I mean, he's a very important player still in Belgian internal politics. And I think this was the opportunity to ensure that he made a comeback into the national political scene. He did consult all the member states before taking this decision, and they said, yes, uh, we will manage to cope even if you leave early. So I think everyone, although it was a surprise to many people in the public, I think senior officials knew this was coming, so it wasn't a surprise to the elite in Brussels.
1: So Mr. Cameron, you speak for the European Council. Tell us how important is the European Council? What is its function? Of course, you know, how important is the position of European president here?
3: Well, much depends on the personality. This is only the the third president of the European Council we've had. The first one was also a Belgian, Herman van Rompuy, who had a very sort of low-key profile, and his term in office was dominated by the Euro crisis. Then we had Donald Tusk, the Polish prime minister, who also had to deal with various issues like migration, and he, he worked very closely with Angela Merkel. Charles Michel is, I would think, not quite in the same category as these two. He's The role is essentially of a chairman of the board, so he can't take many independent decisions. And unfortunately, Charles Michel did not have a very good working relationship with the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, so there's always been some tension there. So I think in terms of his overall role, Competent, but not exactly very exciting or very sort of progressive. Uh,
1: so, uh, Professor Jim, you know, uh, of course, uh, the uh, his departure or upcoming departure is about this uh, upcoming election uh, in the European Parliament uh, in June. Tell us how significant is the election? You know, we have been seeing, you know, report of the uh, the populists uh, on the hard right. Uh, they are gaining influence in several countries in the European Union. So is that a concern for a lot of people in, in, say, in in the EU?
2: Compared to the previous European Parliament elections, one of the important changes uh, in the coming election will be the rise of the right-wing political groups in the European Parliament, because uh, uh, in the European Parliament, the European People's Party, the progressive alliance of uh, Socialists and Democrats, together with Renew Europe, used to be the three largest political groups but uh, it's anticipated that in the coming election the right-wing political groups including identity and democracy and uh, European uh, conservatives and uh, democrats will rise significantly in number of uh, MEPs from the current uh, 127 to increase around uh, to around 170. So that will be a very big change in the coming composition of the MEPs, and which will have a crucial impact on the decision making uh, after the European election. Uh,
1: Professor Menjian, like how yes. controversial is the decision here?
2: You mean Charles Michel will leave... Uh, right, uh, right. Yeah,
1: yes. Because you know, people criticize him, you know, why are you doing this? You know, people say this is very irresponsible <laughs> to leave uh, the post well, uh, vacant uh, there.
2: From his- personal development point of view, I think it's both rational and uh, reasonable. Uh, as I said uh, just now that it's a golden opportunity or window opportunity for him to continue his political career and political ambition, because if he continues till November, uh, he will uh, probably not be able to go back to Belgian politics or to European politics. But if he uh, participates, he runs as a candidate for the European Parliament uh, member in June uh, this year. He may probably uh, be elected as a member of the European Parliament, or even possible that he can uh, probably uh, join the European Commission as a commissioner, or even uh, you know going further to other uh, bigger opportunities at the EU level, and. You know, his father is a very famous a Belgian politician, Louis Michel. Uh, He used to be Belgian foreign minister, and then he served two terms at the European Commission as European Commissioner. And then from 2009 to 2019, his father served as uh, MEP in the European Parliament before he retired. So I think his father inspires his political career, his political ambition. Maybe he would like to follow his father's uh, political path Uh, Now, he had been uh, prime minister of Belgium. And uh, when he was in 2014, the Belgian minister, prime minister, he had created a record because he was the youngest Belgian prime minister in history of Belgium. And then uh, luckily enough for him to be elected as the European uh, Council president from 2019 till now, he served two terms. And so, to go to the European Parliament might be an ideal choice for him. Why not?
1: Mm-hmm. To continue the uh, political career, of course. Uh, and uh, so, um, and, and then, of course, you know, if it's a personal decision, um, but the decision uh, was made at a time, uh, and you know, when the European Union is facing multiple crises, let's say, on the domestic front, and also in Ukraine uh, and also the Middle East, the Gaza conflict over there. So that's probably people would say, you know, there's a a need of leadership at this uh, point of time. That's why people are a bit critical of his decision. So tell us more about the challenges, you know, facing by the uh, European Union.
2: Well, I would say whether uh, Charles Michel is there or not, uh, he will not change the history of European Union development. He will not change the history of European integration because I would not say he is a very important leader in the European Union because, uh, uh, you know, uh, the European Union has uh, so many different institutions and for each institution there is a leader. And also different from a member state, European Union is, an uh, let's say, a regional organization and uh, the the president of the European Council is not really a leader in the same sense as a member state, as for example, France or Germany or the United States or China, um, because uh, he doesn't really have the real power uh, as the president, uh, because uh, inside the European uh, Union, uh, let's say, uh, European Council, as a president, he is there to chair the summit meetings, to uh, set together uh, political guidelines uh, and priorities for the European Union with the heads of state or government of all the member states. And he himself is not able to make any crucial decision uh but only on the consensus with all the other you know heads of state of uh or government of the member states so therefore i would not say that this is such an important position it's more symbolic more institutional than uh more powerful as a president of the european council
1: uh so mr cameron you earlier mentioned about uh, you know his um, more or less tense relationship with uh, the European Council president by the line so uh, you know, like how in, the, in what sense that will affect or that would uh, have affected his work
3: well she for example was able to take the initiative quite early on in two of the biggest issues facing the European union firstly in the pandemic it was sort of on the line who got together the various pharmaceutical companies and produced the inoculation scheme for the whole european union And secondly, in the Ukraine crisis, it was again von der Leyen who drummed up the money and ensured the defense support for Ukraine. So I think overall, people would say that von der Leyen has played a far more influential role over the last few years than Charles Michel. The institutions are different. As the previous speaker said, Michel is chairing, if you like, the highest board of the European Union, whereas von der Leyen has executive power to actually and a huge budget to actually go ahead and take decisions and do things. So that's the
1: difference. Okay, there's a difference between the two institutions as well as the two posts. Uh, so, Mr. Cameron, uh, of course, you know, like uh, the timing, uh, as, we, as we talked about these so-called challenges, you know, uh, faced, uh, facing the European uh, Union, uh, domestically and externally. And of course, you know, what's next, you know, when he resigned? Um, is there a clear procedure uh, who will be his success- successor and what will happen?
3: Well, usually what happens um, a couple of months before the deadline, there's a horse trading that goes on between the political groups and between the member states in terms of who will get the jobs. And they're always part out between the main political groups. Uh, in the last few years, the, the top position has gone to somebody from the Christian Democrats the president of the commission has also been from the right of center, and the high representative dealing with foreign policy has been a socialist. So that's been the mix for the last few years. This may change because the European Parliament will, I think, change um, after June. there will be more uh, extreme right-wing. It'll be more difficult to get a majority coalition together. But ultimately, in terms of these appointments, the real players are France and Germany. And this is what happened last time round, when it was essentially Macron who chose the, or sort of on the line as president, even though the European Parliament wanted Manfred Weber, one of the leaders of the political groups. So when it comes to the crunch, it is the leading member states, and particularly in Berlin and Paris, that call the shots. Uh,
1: so of course, you know, related to that question, uh, Professor Manjing is that, uh, you know, recently there is a piece In the British magazine The Economist says uh, saying that you know who is in charge of Europe Uh, of course there's an interesting uh, summary basically Uh, here I quote the East is up Germany is down Britain is out that's basically you know the challenge of like uh, who uh, is really in charge of the European Union, yeah? not only on the level of the European Council, European Commission, but of course the real power in terms of the national leadership. Uh, so since Merkel is is not there anymore, so which, which country or which uh, which leaders uh, have the real control in terms of uh, the policies, in terms of the directions of the community?
2: Well, I think it's a very difficult question because um, it's very difficult to say who is the one to control the whole process of european integration uh, or european internal or external policies because it's such a big regional organization and the decision making process is so complicated uh, as i said just now no one a single person no single person is the uh, is so powerful to change Uh, the trajectory. But on the other hand, in history, we know that there are some uh, very influential figures. For example, uh, Jacques Delors, who recently passed away, he played a very crucial role in uh, promoting uh, European uh, economic integration in the 1980s. Uh, But right now, uh, I would say that it's a very difficult moment for the European Union. We can hardly find any leader from the member states to say that, uh, you know, the fate, the destiny of the European Union would be on the hands of in the hands of these people. Um, But on the other hand, I I belong to the group who are optimistic about uh, the future of the European Union, because um, since the 21st century, the EU has uh, been going from one crisis to another. Uh, But with this uh, institutional uh, construction, I would say uh, even if there is no strong uh, leadership in the European Union, the collective leadership, uh, the institutional power building is very important for this European Union. The current, I would say, the leadership of all the member states, of all the EU institutions to work together to find out uh, what the EU will uh, further evolve. For example, uh, there are some uh, important policies ongoing uh, in the discussion or in the process of uh, uh, development uh, related to migration policy, related to the economic and monetary union, and so uh, related to the future of the European Union. There are a lot of policies, a lot of discussions, a lot of opinions ongoing in the uh, exchanges between the members state leaders between the leaders of uh, uh, the European institutions. And that's why I think although the decision-making process right now is so, is so complicated, it takes time, uh, finally the EU will be able to you know find its way for further uh, development.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's have a short break. We'll be back right after this.
2: Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Maasai Mara's disrupted rotor beast migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet.
0: Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive. The podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search "Deep Dive" on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in.
1: Welcome back. We have uh, Professor Brokner. So, Professor, you know, if no successor is found to Michel, uh, that would mean the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orbán would temporarily assume the position as the country is due to take over the rotating presidency of the 27 member group from July 1st. Uh, but of course, you know, if you look at the reports, the reaction, uh, there are many concerns from European leaders, uh, at least some countries' leaders. Uh, they are not in favor of uh, Mr. Orbán being uh, the president of the European Council. Tell us why and what's the concern? How big a concern are they?
4: Well, as my Chinese colleague pointed out, the European Union doesn't personalize power in a comparable way with presidential systems. They call this position a president, but it's a very functional, limited form of power. So it will not be the end of the world if for a few months someone will chair a meeting that used to be chaired by someone like Jean-Michel. The concerns stem from the fact that there's an ongoing dispute between Viktor orban who uses his veto power to blackmail the european union over and over again and his different understanding of what the values and the principles of european integration are and this heated up and we had a number of disputes over the future of European integration and democratic backsliding and the use of funding from the European Union. So a lot of people would be unhappy from a symbolic point of view to see him sitting in the driver's seat and to not only represent Hungary as the country holding the presidency in the second half of this year, but also chairing the position as a replacement for Charles Michel. But as I said before, this is not the end of the world. And it would even need just simple majority to change the procedure if someone else will step in and take the role of Charles Michel until all the new positions will be nominated.
1: Uh, so as earlier discussed, the Professor, um, people would say, you know, this is a, a sim, uh, symbolic, uh, important post, but symbolic, you know, as a chair of the European Council, we organize the you know, heads of state, heads of uh, governments to discuss uh, you know, national policies for the European Union. I mean, if, uh, let's assume, you know, uh, Orbán uh, becoming the uh, president of the European Council, I mean, how big uh, a thing that will be how big the uh, damage there will be uh, to the european union in terms of a policy for example policy on the ukraine uh, issue assistance to ukraine all the integration of the european union
4: well as us praise cameron already pointed out this is a position in which first and foremost jean michel is chairing the meetings of the European Council. And this is not a power position in the sense of setting an agenda or even implementing decisions of the European Union. It is important that this important institution, the Consilium, has a president, but he's not the one who guides the European Union into a future or could cause a drama. This is not the situation. The European Union constructed a complicated equilibrium of an inter-institutional collaboration. The Council represents the states. The European U- Commission represents the supranational perspective of what is good for the whole thing. And they try to balance the conflicting positions. He is just one player in a combination of different institutions, and the EU can easily live
1: with this interregnum, whoever takes the position? Well, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Fraser, uh, Fraser uh, Cameron, you know, we mentioned this um, piece uh, carried by The Economist. Uh, you know, there's a summary uh, basically, I quote here the East is up, Germany is down, uh, Britain is out. Of course, Britain, uh, Brexit uh, is out of the European Union. Germany is down, they refer to basically, you know, Merkel is out and uh, the current. Uh, uh say uh, the 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 leader is not as powerful in terms of influence uh as uh, she uh, was in the european union the east is up because of the uh, ukraine conflict obviously you know east european countries like german uh, like uh, poland and other Baltic countries they are speaking louder they are having more influence so tell us you know what's the decision making process you know and now which country or which leaders they are more influential in terms of uh, the policies important policies on the ukraine issue and the middle east integration etc
3: well it depends very much on the issue i mean on ukraine i wouldn't say that germany was down germany has actually played a very leading role in terms of ukraine and germany has provided more assistance of all kinds to Ukraine than any other uh, member state and second only to the United States in terms of supplying aid to Ukraine. So even though Schultz is not the same sort of kind of uh, influential person that Merkel was in the European scene, he's still playing a rather quiet, but you know, I think quite a decent role there. Um, Macron has taken the lead on other issues. So it very much depends on whether it's an international issue, in which case you would normally find Paris and Berlin taking the lead. As regards the Middle East, it's been a very difficult issue for the European Union because the member states have been divided as to how far they should go in criticizing Israel. Some of them have very long history and because of historical issues in terms of how they approach Israel. So it's always been a problem area for the European Union to achieve a consensus more easy to achieve a consensus on issues like climate change or sort of debt reduction and even more recently, as someone mentioned, on migration. So when it comes to the hard conflict issues, that's where the EU finds it more difficult to find a consensus. But the point is it depends very much on each individual, individual issue which leaders come to the fore and then drive the European agenda forward.
1: Mm. Uh, well, with that uh, as uh, you know, uh, in mind, uh, Mr. Cameron, w- w- you know, who are the likely candidates to succeed uh, Mr. Michel?
3: Well, at this stage, it's quite difficult to uh, come up with any particular name. I mean, if you think back to the last time, um, nobody thought Ursula von der Leyen would become president of the commission, not even herself. And she was the last minute choice. Uh, usually, the other choices um, have emerged as a result of horse trading. The chair of the European Council, president of the European Council, normally is a former head of state or government. That's you know, what has been the case in the past. The European Commission president has been, again, someone who served in a national government. They have to achieve a consensus. And at the moment, you know, you could think of names like Fredriksen from Denmark, Mark Rutte from Holland. Um Maloney from Italy. So it's still a bit too early. There's several months to go before a decision will be reached. But certainly there will be no interregnum. There will be leadership in the European Union. You can count on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so Professor Menjem, basically the challenges will remain unchanged you know, during the process of uh, selecting or appointing new, uh, say someone new to replace uh, Mr. Michel there
2: challenges remain, no matter who will be there, he or she will have to handle these challenges.
1: Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Cameron. Thank you, Professor Mengjian. With that, we come to the end of today's show. Big thank you to our guests, Xu Qingduo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.
0: Once upon a time, in a land not so very far away, Stories were told of the brave and the bold. The whole court fell silent to hear what the great warrior Mulan might ask for. Of mighty deities and powerful immortals. Immediately, the shimmering skin started to grow before his eyes. Of fated love and love sanctified. In dawn's golden light, Lang said. Marry me. Of great journeys across fantastical landscapes. So the cat and the mouse climbed on the dog's back, and the dog swam across the broad. Range. In the company of friends and enemies and unimagined beasts. Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you. Of ordinary folk with tantalizing stories to tell. Heroes and heroines all. It's incredible. How did you do that? Tales of sad sacrifice and victories snatched from the jaws of defeat. Stories of the wise, the accomplished, and the quick of mind. 5,000 years of amazing Chinese Folk Tales. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favourite podcasts. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China
2: and around the world.